0: control or like you really want to just go play control
1: right now (laughs) Uh, i'm ready to play control once we're done i feel that i gotta
0: go i gotta go take down hades
1: hello and welcome to deep in the d-pad where we explore all things video games through an intellectual lens this is a special edition of deep in the d-pad where we're gonna get deeper into the
0: hosts i'm your first host rk taylor and with me is your friendly neighborhood game dev carlos You really love saying that. Uh, Man, I'm trying it. I'm trying whatever sticks. That one feels good for now. (laughs) So, for this episode, we're going to kind of go through
1: um, our arc and talk about our relationship with video games and uh, the world and intellectualism. uh, And we're going to try to avoid being as pretentious as possible. So, Carlos, do you want to kick us off with some of the games that were most formative for you in, in childhood or uh like maybe your intro into gaming
0: yeah sure totally um so uh if memory serves me uh my first console was a nintendo 64 i had i don't think i saw video games before this i really don't remember but i do remember going into a toys r us getting that nintendo 64 box with like the 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 black side that showed the the console and then the bright like red and yellow sides of the box And uh, seeing games like Mario 64 on the back, and I actually ended up getting Mario 64 with the console, and I think Star Wars, uh, Shadows of the Empire. Two very, very different games, um, but younger me really latched on to Mario 64, and the the sort of, like, freedom and exploration that it allowed the player to uh, have, and just like playing that a lot and y- using that to kind of get into get into games like that definitely made me more curious about them uh, I know for like years later I would like if I ever I well, you know, based off that game in a sense, like I got into more games and I eventually like learned like, well, who does actually make this game? And I learned who Miyamoto was and, uh, the people Miyamoto worked with and what Nintendo was and how that sort of came into effect. And I think that like really got the ball rolling. Um, but yeah, like what about you, Ryan? Like my, my first big game, I guess would be Mario 64. What was the first big game for you?
1: Yeah, honestly, I don't remember. Um, I've definitely been a Nintendo boy for as long as I can remember. Um, and I, Honestly, I've had video games longer, like, they stretch further back than my my memory of them, uh, so I know that I had a PS1, I know that I had an N64, I know that I had the original Game Boy, but I really don't know what was first. Um, I know that I, I also got, like, my when my sister was born, uh, she's five years younger than me, I my parents bought a the first computer um, that they ever owned. And um, that was basically used as a way to, like, placate me because my parents weren't going to be able to, like, give me attention anymore. So it was like, how can we keep this kid busy? So they, I was playing, like, computer games and things like that, too. Um, but Nintendo has always been um, really close to my heart. And, you know, Zelda and um, really, like, all the Zelda games have
0: been absolutely... Why do they resonate with you so much?
1: You know, my favorite Zelda game is... uh. Oracle of Seasons, which is, you know, I've never heard anybody else say that, that was their favorite Zelda game, but the ability to manipulate, basically, like, climate, you know, uh, or, like, weather, you know, and, and uh, you know, to be able to make a river become icy in order to cross it just felt like such a interesting way of, uh, you know, exploring the relationship with the environment and, like, puzzle solving. And, you know, Oracle of, of Ages was also really interesting and you know those are part of like the same tr- trilogy but i just found those games to be so fun um and really like there hasn't been a zelda game that i you know haven't fa- found the ability to appreciate in some way the first two are the hardest for me but you know beyond that they're, they've just all been hits for me and uh also dk64 was one of the first games that i remember just being absolutely enamored with and uh, you know i can still play that uh, to this day and just the idea of switching between different characters and they have different abilities and, you know, again, it's, like, that kind of got that, like, puzzle-solving stuff. I love that, you know? Like, the idea, like, the yeah. puzzle platformer genre in general has always really
0: resonated with me. Yeah, it almost sounds like, uh, and I don't have much personal experience with DK64, I was, uh, I, I had played more of, uh, of course, Mario 64 and uh Banjo-Kazooie, uh, I love both of those for the record too. Yes. Yeah, those are those are my uh, collectathon platformers. Um, but it sounds like with DK sixty four, Donkey Kong sixty four, um, there was almost like a Metroidvania aspect of it, where you'll like explore the island, and you meant you then mention getting characters with new abilities, so you get to traverse these familiar areas that now the walls that block those familiar areas are are removed because you have like whatever these abilities are I think one was like a mango bazooka or something and then one of them had lanky arms that allowed him to helicopter or something so that I think that's really cool I I love metroidvania style games uh but I had never like actually like played uh I guess really gotten into that one dude I-
1: I have never considered this game a Metroidvania in all of my playthroughs, and it is definitely a Metroidvania. I cannot, you're, you're blowing <laughs> my mind, <laughs> dude. You got your wires crossed with some of the details there, okay? Like, Tiny Kong is able to helicopter with her p- pigtails, uh, and Lanky is able to, like, walk upside down, which allows him to climb really steep inclines. Uh, but, you know, your point is still well taken. yep. Yep. Okay, so let let's move into like how we became friends because we became friends, you know, years after we began gaming. But I, I think our friendship was really like kind of uh, not not exclusively like revolving around video games. But I definitely think that they kind of like cemented our crew together a bit. You wanna do you wanna speak about that a bit?
0: Yeah. So um, I was uh, <laughs> funny enough. I was actually talking to someone today about uh, sort of the the building blocks to human relationships. And uh, w- one of the kind of earliest building block is repeated, uh, re- what is it, like repeated placement or re- repeated basically bumping into each other, right? So we, we already had that in place in that like when, when my family moved into town, uh, we had most of our classes together. That was in middle school. I think like the majority of our day, we had classes together.
1: Yeah, you moved in, you moved to Fallsburg in eighth grade, right? We're from upstate New York. Um, just so everyone knows. But you moved in eighth grade, right?
0: Yeah, eighth grade, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so moved in eighth grade. uh, We shared many of the same classes, so we would, you know, see each other a lot, have lots of opportunity to talk. And then the, the cultural, you know, the cultural focal point that we shared was obviously video games Um, that wasn't the only thing we shared like we watched you know similar shows and movies and stuff like that but we could just go on about video games and this was something for us to actually like uh, it was an it was not only something to talk about but an activity that we could all participate in we all being like you me and then the the group of friends we developed and shared over the years right like we we would all be able to get together and hang out over over these multiplayer games um, but yeah,
1: yeah, and there's only so much that we can talk about dysfunctional families, you know, that
0: gets tiring after a while. Yeah, of course. You got to just uh, escape escape the video games and talk about that a bunch. But back then, you know, our conversations were way less, uh, you know, intellectual and or pretentious as they are now. Right. It was way more of like, w- what video game do you think is cool? Oh, Call of Duty's cool because I shoot guns and like another person you know probably me saying like well Mega Man's cool because you combine these chipsets to to make gun big and make sword big isn't that cool and like you know everyone else in the classroom being like i don't really care about any of this like what's what's my like what whatever their niche is they want to talk about um and i think uh well i'm just from where i'm standing now i'm glad that my thinking and my conversation about video games has changed because honestly the the hype train conversation gets really stale really fast and i think it just leads to people being getting jaded with, with gaming or with whatever is getting hype machined speak more about about like the what you think the hype machine is doing
1: to um like fans or or I don't. Know, I don't really want to use the word consumers because I find it really kind of obnoxious when people say things like they consume music instead of listening to music. It's like okay, uh, but yeah, the experience of maybe the reason I don't like consuming just as a quick side note is like it's not go it like a it's not a consumable. It's not going anywhere. It still exists after you have experienced it like one time. But anyway, so after you have uh, uh like how does your relationship with games, uh
0: been affected by the the hype machines it's um i mean it's very much just a cycle of and now i'm gonna use the word consumer <laughs> but mainly from this from the pov of the marketing people and the like corporations so it's it is very much like marketing's drive to get you're to get the game as widely heard of uh widely present as possible and to you know make it seem like a product worth putting your money on um and this creates a this create this ends up creating like this weird perpetual cycle of like excitement and build up and uh man uh sorry listeners we're gonna get a little adult here it's basically just edging for video games like it's just you're like edging people on a video game for like months and it's like dude no amount of no amount of <laughs> like no video game or like no sexual partner is gonna be worth like months and months of edging for like one edging? oh fuck oh no <laughs> oh no okay sorry we're gonna get like we're gonna get r-rated listeners uh edging is edging is when you uh when you pleasure yourself up to the precipice of climax and you don't climax you simply just ride the line of that moment that feeling Uh uh-huh so
1: So you're okay so you're like fluffing
0: yeah there yes there you go yes so fluffing fluffing edging, um, yeah basically, basically, yeah, these people are having lots of, uh, excitement built up in them for a very, very long period of time. Games take years to make, so when these, when the higher level executives and marketing say like, oh, wow, this game looks, uh, kind of promising, we got a prototype, um, let's go ahead and let everybody know about this prototype, like, three years before the game could come out in any sort of realistically good regard, and, that obviously like that ends up becoming this whole machine of like oh wow this demo looked so good why does the end game look nothing like it on the on the gamer side uh, it creates like this kind of it, in some cases creates a resentment of like wow this didn't re- like you guys had this game put together like 5 years ago why like you know why is it not like this now or why did you shift it like this isn't the vision you showed off um and uh yeah it's just The the longer people, at least in my uh, anecdotal experience, the longer people know about things, the longer uh, they have to create their own idea of what your vision should be and then criticize you for one, not getting your vision to them fast enough, and two, not lining up with their idea of what your vision is.
1: Yeah, this is really interesting. This reminds me of... We're getting a little off track right here, but, uh, like, the Sonic movie, how people were, like, really upset with how the animation looked, and then they basically, like, were... Like, had to reanimate the movie. The animators reanimated the movie because uh, consumers were not happy with, with, like, how the product was turning out. Right. What the hell? Like, I am... I was so furious that the, like, animators, like, were bullied into, into redesigning. Like, as an artist, I... I don't care if people are not a fan. Like, you don't have to read my work if you're not a fan of the my style, you know. Uh, and and certainly, like, I believe in, in cer- certain kinds of gatekeeping. Like, I want an editor to approve of my work, and I don't. I'm not going to like self-publish my own work as a way of trying to like promote myself. Uh, that's just not my path. I want I want to so- work with someone, and I want it to like, you know, be inducted into this like literary circle, and like you know, be deemed worthy of of you know uh being read by by other people who are you know authorities in some sense um but that doesn't mean that every fan who reads it is allowed to change the piece because they don't like what it's doing or you know and this idea you know there's just outrage mobs in general and like you know this is part of the problem with like social media and things like that and call out culture and all of these things uh but the idea that 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 fans think that they they are um because they're paying to watch a movie that they're able to have some level of control over the art seems to me to be like a really big problem and to be totally misunderstanding uh the relationship between art like artist art or art and observer um again this was super off track so i don't know if you want to like <laughs> circle back or if you have like really quick thoughts on that before we like kind of get into like
0: I do have quick thoughts on that and I will be the counterpoint to you because I I was happy that they were make updating the character to look more like the actual game character. Um, I was not happy. I fully I fully like thought about and like held in my head the thought that this team of v- VFX artists and, and animators they are going to work a hellish crunch cycle to redo like all the shots in this movie and For sure. and that's that sucked i was like we didn't even need to be here because at least the way i see it the way i saw history playing out with that project was some executive saying like this is this is what it should look like you know it's got to be more relatable to the kids do this have human teeth this that whatever and th- you know whoever like whoever Uh, had to like steer the ship just had to steer the ship and then it came to you know the fiery hand of Twitter and then you know executive man had to go hat in hand like oh uh, well it turns out our our lead guy didn't make the right Sonic so go ahead and make a better Sonic that uh, again that could just be my more jaded uh, outlook on things but I feel like most of the time, especially with that movie, I was already, like, very skeptical of it. So for Sonic to look the way he did when he first did, I was like, "Uh, yeah, this is actually exactly what I expected. Some woody, some live-action Woody Woodpecker ass shit, and that's exactly <laughs> what it looked like. And, uh, you know, God, I, I want to say, like, kudos to them for, like, updating the model, but also at the same time, they hurt a lot of people and they also fired a lot of people after hurting them so kind of um never mind i'm not gonna (laughs) i'm not gonna burn any bridges (laughs) i'm just saying i'm just saying that's not that's kind of not cool (laughs) kind of not cool paramount and whoever else yeah this is this is so complex i love this i love that we're like supposed to be talking about ourselves and then we're like talking about it for three minutes yeah i can't help help talking about all that other stuff Uh, so, so getting back more so to our formative years, I guess, right? Like, um, as I grew up, uh, as I grew up, you know, I played, I played more games socially. I noticed that I was like kind of largely a single player type person until, until maybe around the time I like met you guys. Um, and that became more of a multiplayer thing especially with games like uh call of duty and, and world of warcraft and uh you know you and i played that a lot during our like uh preteen to maybe like mid-teen years um what are your what are your some what are some of your recollections during that period yeah i
1: i remember uh cod and wow as well um i think wow was like really the first one we we played that before we like had 360s but the 360 really like, connected us in a um really incredible way uh i remember playing one versus 100 and there was like a lot of hype about about that uh like there we were, were real prizes people. at
0: stake man that, that's why there the hype was prizes. there
1: yeah and um one of my favorite games that we ever played together was explosion man uh, i loved uh that's like a, that was like probably one of the first indie games i ever played too um i actually yeah i actually replayed miss explosion man by myself earlier this year um and it's just I just think it's a really well-designed platformer. It's, like, I love the visuals of that game. And, um yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to, like, what you were saying. Like, you know, like, you pitched Splosion Man to me, and it was, like, just a, like, yeah, you're, like, this character, and you, like, explode around and stuff, you know? And, like, now, like, I have a more refined appreciation of it, and, like, the, I could talk about the color scheme and, you know, the, the symbolism with the... Um, the, like, scientists and, you know, and, like, how, you know, we can we can get, like, much deeper and, like, uh, analytical in, in our approach to to breaking down Spoiler Man, and I, I love that we could can do that now. You know, I love that we've just, our conversation, you know, like, I thought of about video games as, like, children's things, and I, you know, I, I took a bit of a hiatus, which we can get into in a little bit, um, but, you know, the idea that, like, we can come back to video games and just have a more... Uh, rich conversation about them is something that really excites me. Um, But yeah, we played a lot of COD and I died a lot. I was like the worst person on our team, just going like one in 20, like all
0: the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, but the, but COD wasn't exactly a place for, it it wasn't, that didn't hurt the experience too much. Right. It was kind of frustrating to to die a lot when we got in certain lobbies, but COD much like Fortnite is nowadays, like was really a, a, a social vehicle uh, it was kind of like the it was kind of like the after school clubhouse. Rather than actually going to a clubhouse, we could all just get into an Xbox Live party, hop on to our favorite Modern Warfare playlist or map, and have a private match or do some matchmaking, and just like yeah. chat about what happened in the day, whatever drama is ongoing, even help each other with our homework at times through through this chat. Like it it was really just something a place for us to hang out, and that's what video games have helped a lot of people to do, and I think it still helps people to do today. Um, yeah, but, for sure. So for something that brings people together so much, uh, why did you end up taking a break from it? I remember this happening around college time, right? Yeah, when I got into college, I, I brought my N64 with me, and I like
1: played it very casually, um, but I didn't really get any new Systems. I basically fell off playing with my three sixty. I stopped PC gaming uh, almost completely. I guess. Um, I think I would like hop on WoW for new expansions and things like that. But I was basically like completely done with gaming from like two thousand eleven or so until maybe like
0: twenty nineteen. So what did you do for and uh, what did you do for enter? entertainment i guess what did you do in instead of this thing
1: i did a lot of reading honestly um like one of the reasons i got back into gaming is because i've recently begun listening to audiobooks so i'm able to like go hiking or walking or something like that or cook and like listen to a book at the same time uh and it's like very important to me to constantly be engaged in in like books uh and the ability to like multitask with audiobooks now has really like opened up some Like time for me to be able to like incorporate video games into my life again, Um, but yeah, I would say like reading and writing. Um, You know, I like I in school for in undergrad I studied philosophy and psychology, Um, and like. I was involved in a lot of extracurricular. So I was like in a, I was like the vice president of my Planned Parenthood club for, for three years. And I was the president of uh, the philosophy club and, you know, doing stuff that's like really similar to like what we're doing now. Basically, it was like kind of like there would be like 20 people in a room and there would be a topic with a few questions. And we would, I would kind of facilitate the conversation and try to like get people to open up about different, um, perspectives and and like ask them follow-up questions or if i realized that like person x was like in dialogue with person you know b and like they just there were a lot of people between them i would try to like make linking connections um and those kinds of things so it's really just been about like just trying to like understand as much as i can and like you know like a kind of like a human nature kind of approach um i've also done like some social work stuff um so after I got out of college I um I worked with uh, the homeless population in in like Newburgh and Port Jervis, New York and Middletown. Um and then I uh moved to Pittsburgh and I got my MFA in creative writing. Um and I've been, you know, writing fiction and uh, poetry um mostly since, you know, for like the last few years. Hmm. And I just got really really obsessed with writing when I got out of college. I didn't really write much before then, but it just really like
0: you know, that was kind of you like just when got Trump stuff
1: was taking off.
0: What'd you say? Oh, I sorry. Uh, didn't mean to interrupt. I was gonna, I was just saying, like, you, you just got the bug for it, right? Like, it something got the possessed bug, man. you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's like all I wanted to do, you know. Um, it
1: was like hard for me to go to work because I just want to spend all my time writing. And then I chose to go to Chatham in Pittsburgh, PA, because they had a program teaching at the, at the jail. Um, and th- that seemed like the perfect blend of like my like social work and my like writing. Um, you know, my writing life, so, you know, that's why I came to Pittsburgh, and and now I'm working with uh, young adults who are transitioning out of foster care, trying to, like, help them build life skills, so that could be, like, employment, or education, or um, parenting, you know, like, really whatever it is that they're trying to work on, I try to help them, like, advance that aspect of their life, and, you know, now that I'm working full-time and stuff like that, I was, I picked up a Switch um, last year, and I've just been, I played it, it to death, and then I got a Uh, series s because you know it was only a few hundred dollars and i was like totally affordable at this point in my life and i'm trying to like get through all my backlog with of all like game pass games and stuff like that and i've just since i have gotten back into gaming it's just really taken me by by storm and i'm just totally totally like immersed in the in the world of gaming again i read about it all the time and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to start this podcast um but in that but and since I've been back, you, you and I have been able to play some games together and that has been awesome. I'm really loving it. Uh, you've been, you're so well informed though in the video game worlds because you've like learned how to make them. So tell me about like where, where you've been since we were like 18. Uh,
0: uh, yeah. So <laughs> pretty much I went to college in Vermont for game design. Um, I studied in a program that put uh, game design majors along with game art majors, with game programmer majors, and uh, game production majors. So uh, it, it studied how AAA studios worked and tried to recreate this format within their own uh, curriculum. I think it does a, a, a pretty good job given my uh, experience pretty much all my experience with AAA studios has mirrored a lot of that like general framework that I saw in college. So while I was in, while I was in college, also uh, aside from leading a bunch of small teams on game projects, I uh, started up a, I started up an initiative, uh, I think at the time it was called like the Game Designers Roundtable, basically just uh, a sort of like, open hour where we hang out uh, well it's open call to designers or anyone in the game major to come hang out at the top of the library and talk about just whatever whatever topics were like going on in the game industry at the time um, so that could have That could have been like new tech on the horizon, uh, maybe uh, uh, things happening on a societal level like uh, harassment allegations in the workplace and how that impacts the team and and stuff like that. We would just try to facilitate these conversations. Um, I also studied abroad in uh, Montreal, Canada for uh, like a semester. And while I was out there, I went to the Montreal International Game Summit, uh, did a couple of events with the International Game Developers Association, just, like, attending and, and networking, um, and uh, there was, like, one other thing that I did there that I can't quite remember off the top of my head. I visited a bunch of game studios. Uh, that was, that was like, really cool. Everywhere from, like, indie to, like, IP-focused to, uh, to licensed IP focus, meaning like Candy Crush, Price is Right, or sorry, not Candy Crush, Price is Right, uh, say AMC's The Walking Dead, anything, Jurassic Park, anything that's an existing property. So like mobile games to AAA to indie. I got to go to a lot of these studios and take like a, a quick tour of the inside and, and get a little uh, get a little bit of uh, talking time with some of the people that worked at these places. And it was great. It like really opened... Um, it opened my eyes to I would say like accepting that like this profession is is possible like I knew it was possible but I think like there's always like an imposter syndrome part of me that's that's like never too too sure uh so like meeting these people and seeing them work it 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 it, removes the illusion in a sense not the magic but it removes the illusion
1: it legitimized video game design and development for you
0: yeah yeah very much so very much so yeah sure it it was like oh this is kind of office spacey you know not in the bad way but it was like (laughs) everyone does have cubicles i do hear tic tappy and people are printing out faxes at certain times like it's very office spacey but a little more relaxed and and i thought that was very cool like i still i still do like the feel of like an office space full of like chill creatives because it it's it has a very playful vibe um but moving on like past that uh after graduating college uh with a bachelor's in science uh and for game design um I started at uh Vicarious Visions I was like QA for a little bit um, I work. I was QA like play testing, uh, right? Yeah, sorry. So QA is quality assurance, uh, aka play testers. Uh, th- these are these are people that they they play the game, but they don't just play the game they basically like they test the game Uh, a lot of it is just basic scientific method uh in order to find errors within the game so doing that for about 40 hours plus a week uh so i was qa on skylander superchargers as well as guitar hero live over at vicarious visions um and got to meet a lot of cool people there and see how that studio works and they have like a really they have a really big qa team and a really cool uh at the time, I would say they have uh, a good relationship with their QA team. Uh, I haven't been there for several years, so I can't speak for them now. Um, after Vicarious Visions and the Skylander series, I uh, became I got picked up by uh, Sony Bend Studio uh, for a mission designer role. Uh, slash associate technical designer for Days Gone, the uh, PS4 first party title from that studio uh, stars Sam Witwer as Deacon St. John, some drifter bounty hunter who lost his wife in the apocalypse and is on the search for her or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but just <laughs> these 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 big multi-billion-dollar budget games get really lost in the sauce when you've got like over a hundred people working on it. Um, but that was the biggest team I ever worked on, actually. So that's something of note. Uh, when I when I joined that team, it was like maybe sixty or so people large. And by the time we launched, days gone, uh, the team was like over I would say over hundred and thirty or so people. So. That was like a, a cool experience to be in, not only working on a AAA game, not only working on like a new IP. Uh, but also like working on a small team that's like ramping up to try and perform this tremendous feat. Because like, keep in mind, listener, games like Assassin's Creed or Watchdogs, like the and even Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto, they're made by hundreds upon hundreds of people putting at minimum forty hours a week into like very specific facets of the game. Like when you read the article uh, saying like Red Dead Redemption Two has horse testicles that shrink when it gets cold and and big when it gets warm that was somebody's that was somebody's task for like probably a month or like or less if the systems were not as buggy
1: wow yeah. there's like there's someone whose claim to fame was working on horse testicles and red dead 2
0: that's like, somebody's resume like... right there yep <laughs> Oh yeah, right. So after Sony Bend, uh, that would bring us to like current day, um, I uh, moved to California to work on VR titles uh, for the studio called Servios. They uh, make uh, some real top-of-the-line virtual reality games and uh, I became a fan of theirs actually uh, during my time at Sony Bend. Uh, I had worked on Days Gone for about four years um, and during that time, the HTC Vive came out, the, uh, Oculus Rift and Quest were starting to get, like, uh, more, um, more headspace, uh, what, what's it called? Mindshare, I Traction. guess? Traction, mindshare, that type of thing. Um, so VR was becoming more prevalent, and, uh, I... I only saw it as like the next level of things. Like this is this is the not the final frontier, but this is the next frontier, and all the new like interesting problems and problem-solving solutions that come with it. Uh, so yeah, I I played like some uh, raw data. I remember raw data. This is like the first big title by Servios. Raw data blew my mind because it showed me what a real what I believed to be a real game. What that should be in VR. And uh, it don't. For it only got better from there when I played Sprint Vector, and uh, eventually, like uh, one of my one of my friends uh, from college who had been working on Call of Duty World War II, he uh, he said that you know, that, hey, the studio reached out to me for level designer. Um, I don't know if I'm the best fit for this studio but maybe this is up your alley because you you're really passionate about VR and you know I took that opportunity uh, and so far it's been a really good uh, matchup I've been having a great time working on VR learning a lot of like learning a lot of new things a lot of interesting uh, differences and similarities between VR and non-VR gaming. Um, and uh, yeah, sorry, the, to get to the main point, or rather the, the main facts, uh, I've been working at Servios for just over a year now, and I have worked on uh, The Walking Dead Onslaught, AMC's property, uh, which shipped just this year, and I am currently working on Puzzle, Bobble, VR, Vacation Odyssey, which is set to ship sometime next year. Both of these are for the Oculus uh, and other PC headsets. And in some cases, uh, PlayStation VR.
1: Cool. That was very thorough. Um, do you want to talk a bit about your um, like intentions for this podcast, or your hopes, or anything like that?
0: Yeah, sure, totally. I want to start off by saying that I you were the one that actually approached me with the with the idea uh, for the podcast, and I thought it was amazing. Honestly, uh, I have long been wanting to have these long in-depth conversations that i you know tend to characterize as rambles but they just feel really good and stimulating to have and i enjoy spending you know i enjoy spending time with you and interacting with you my friend and uh i enjoy being productive so somehow this kind of like hits that triple threat right like i'm uh in in the In the path of putting out this content i feel like i'm being productive because i'm i'm like you know able to converse with you think critically about these things within video games and outside of video games thanks to your point uh thanks to your point of view and your background and i really want our listeners and people who are maybe soon to be listeners to to keep their minds open and try to think critically more in general and then specifically maybe for our show try to see like try to see the fringes that lie just beyond the video game
1: yeah word um i have similar feelings i suppose um and you know i just want to i'll i'll volley back to you you're um you came to New York uh, for a family visit back in, I think it was February, and I drove to New York to mm-hmm. to pay you a visit. And there, you suggested, uh, you told me about this aspiration to, like create a website that explores like social issues and in video with the, with video games or something like that. And then, something like eight months later, I th- like texted you about the possibility of doing a podcast like that, you know. And I I don't know why it took so long, but I think it was like. Uh, you know, marinating for a bit until I decided that, that like, that might be something that would be doable, but, um, I'm really glad. And you were like immediately down with it and I, I couldn't believe it. And this has been really fun so far. I'm having a great time. Um, these, you know, like preparing this for the last couple of months or whatever. I know that for our listeners, this might be the first or second episode that they ever hear, but, um, we've been putting this together for a bit and it's great. And yeah, like, you know, you've talked about like the, the, like how the hype machine is toxic and like, you know, how we need more critical thinking and stuff. And, you know, it's just like, there are billions of people playing games now, you know, if we include mobile games and that's, uh, I'm just like, I want us to have better conversations about video games. I want there to be, there's so much interesting stuff to say and so many different things to explore. Just the other day you were like, why do we need to hear yet another like preview of how cyberpunk is going when we could be talking about transhumanism and the implications you know the moral implications or whatever you know and it's like totally like i completely agree with you and i this is like this is ideally going to be uh like a medium where we can really get into the like nature of reality with vr and and you know and talk about you know the ethics and the psychological benefits of of gaming and those kinds of things i'm really drawn to to learn as much as i can and uh you know it's great to kind of continue to like sew the thread of our friendship and like continue to like uh uh develop like a friendship that's like so old and like you know like it's already like we've had awesome conversations and it's been super fun and you know so much about like devices and coding and you know like level design and all of these things that i really know i don't know the first thing about a lot of the you know i'm I'm very much a a player of games not a creator of games but i do have like my
0: approach to narrative and craft and those kinds of things you ryan i feel provide like a real good like human element to everything like i can i can provide the sort of like data and uh you know a lot of like theoretical principle stuff but i think you know because of your experience and uh because of your interest you provide like a way more human element to things like you said like you you bring in the 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 point of view of the player uh in a sense but i think it's like it's even more so than that because uh uh, again leaning on your your vacation from uh from gaming you're you're almost like that that uh in the nicest way possible i can't remember this character's name but you're kind of like that savage man from brave new world and like i have to be the utopian guy that sort of shows you how how quote-unquote good things are yeah i think his name is john savage john, yeah that's actually his name. <laughs> yeah so like you're yeah you're you're to to some extent you're you're our the fresh john. eyes you're our fresh eyes that's so interesting.
1: You know, I, I was while you were saying that, I was thinking, like, when you're, um, you know, it's really important to me to have, like, readers of my work before I, like, submit it to mm-hmm. journals and stuff, uh, you know, and my girlfriend is also a writer, so she's my first, really my first reader, uh, but it's so helpful to have someone who isn't a writer read the work as well, and because it's, they kind of have, like, a fresher perspective, and I can imagine that, like, with gaming, you're almost, like, so you understand so well the mechanics that, that you it kind of creates its own kind of blind spots um, where yeah. you may find something super sophisticated and interesting, but it may not be elegant to someone who isn't thinking about how it's created
0: in that way or something like that. Do, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. Something, uh, something a lot of VR development runs into. Um, so with that, uh, I think that about brings us to the uh, depths of this d-pad today
1: yeah I think so do you want to tell people where they can like find other work that you're doing or do you want
0: to is there anything you want to plug yeah yeah sure um yeah I don't usually uh plug things um so yeah listeners if you want to uh check out some of my work or maybe a little bit more about me um I'd say you could I'm not really good at social media, so <laughs> you could take a look at my portfolio, uh, carlosgutierrez.us. Um, I'm sure we'll put a link in the show notes somewhere. Uh, and uh, if you want to follow me on, I guess, maybe Twitter, uh, I'm at East Coast Los. All the thoughts there are my own. I don't really post there all that much. Um, and. I guess that's about it. Sorry, I'm like not not really good to reach.
1: <laughs> what what about your other podcast?
0: Oh, right. Yes. Uh yeah. So if you if you like hearing my voice and you want to hear more in-depth conversation about video games and or game development, please listen to Head Mounted Destinations. Uh, This is available wherever you get your podcasts and also we have a video component that is on YouTube. So whatever we're talking about, I try my best to get gameplay video to go along with our examples. Please give that some love, check it out, especially if you're into virtual reality. Uh, This is something I hope is good and I hope gets people thinking, much like this show.
1: Cool. And uh, if you're interested in uh, some of my creative work, you can follow me or you can uh, find my website, uh, writerrktaylor.com. And also I am uh, co-editing an anthology that's being released this month. So if you're hearing this, that means it has already been released. Uh, That is called Recasting Masculinity, and that's available on Amazon
0: tight thanks so much ryan for uh hosting today's episode i've had a really good time chatting with you and i really hope our listeners get some some good into some good insight into this show and you know who we are me too my man so i guess streets of rogue later oh yeah man hack the planet
1: thank you for listening to deep in the d-pad subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share
0: us with your friends for updates and discussion, follow us on Reddit at r slash Facebook at deepdpad, and subscribe to Deep in the d on YouTube. Don't forget to hit the bell. And if you want to ask us questions or get a chance to share your own D-pad delight
1: on the show, email us at askdeepinthedpad at gmail.com. Be sure to put question or delight in the subject line.
0: Big thanks to 8-Bit Jazz and Kevin McLeod for supplying the music for the show.